Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Shalo. Shalo, indeed. On today's episode, talk a little bit about plumbing, I guess. I don't know, I got like, you know when on the old Mario, when he goes down the pipe and it like, the music changes like, do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. Do-do-do-do. That's kind of been like in my head ever since we started talking about this. Um, so, <laughs> it's not really a plumbing episode, I suppose, to a degree. If you want to think about it in a linear pipe-like thing, I suppose. Uh, today's episode is titled, How Leaky Is Your Bucket? Um, this is a term that we use around my other business in regards to client retention and uh, it's essentially a metric on how quickly you are the ratio between clients coming in as new clients and old clients maybe either finding something that they like better something like the maybe the new shiny um, that they're going after perhaps something cheaper um, what my other business sells is for the market that it's in is not necessarily uh, the least expensive. However, I will argue that what we do sell, I will stand behind, is the best. And for being a product that started, arguably, the term planned obsolescence, we do offer a lifetime warranty on it. I don't know, a lot of people know that. I guess that comes back to me since I'm marketing. Maybe I'm afraid to tell people that it has a lifetime warranty <laughs> on it. Uh, my wife and I, we were talking there, and she's like, so what if, like, what happens when you've sold these to everybody? Right. And then they start coming back on these warranty claims. And I'm like, well, dear, I'm screwed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, it's a metric that we use around the company about uh, incoming clients, outgoing clients, and client retention. And it's one of the things we're going to focus on a lot recently. I think about like a month or so ago, I put it on mine and Sam's uh, podcast list just because um, it's something that I've been thinking about in my mastering business. It's something that I know uh, collaboratively through uh, the mastery engineers who I regularly speak with. It is um, a topic of discussion and... We kind of talked about it a little bit, but this is kind of, this is more like a laser-focused uh, thing on this. So, How Leaky Is Your Bucket is the name of the episode. <laughs> uh, but before that, yes. Sam, why don't you take us into a little bit of housekeeping? I've got my bucket that doesn't have a leak, full of nice soapy water. Hopefully our for, listener uh, bucket doesn't have a leak in it. Yeah, it might. probably does. Um, on some level. <laughs> But yeah, I got my uh, my mop here, ready, no leaking, uh, ready for housekeeping. Uh, audience listener, thank you so much for being here for another episode. We truly appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, this is that unique, fun time, so fun, for you to screenshot this episode or past episode, whatever you're on, um, that you've enjoyed. Post it on Instagram, tag me, most mastering, tag Matt for the record mastering. We will reshare it cross marketing which is helpful to all of us we found but most importantly we get to meet you one-on-one -on -one digitally um and we've loved getting to know our audience uh, we always have great conversations we uh always get great questions asked us then i ask people questions because you all know a lot of things i don't know and it just becomes this fun little uh community kind of like a helpful community is what we're creating so um yeah screenshot it tag us also, um, if you can take 30 seconds, that's all. We need your help for 30 seconds. Go like, share, subscribe. The episode um, on Apple is really helpful. If you can leave stars and review, that's really great. Um, whatever you're consuming this on, if you can subscribe, that helps us get out further into the world and helps all of us make better records together. Housekeeping done. Squeegeeing my... Squishing out my mop water. My dirty mop water. <laughs> Yuck. You. Mops are kind of gross. They are, you know. You got to like wash your mop after you. Well, when I used to clean offices, fun story, I used to clean uh, offices back in high school and college. Um, I had a business called Keep It Clean. And uh, 
when I would get done with my mopping, I would have to take my mop head off and then go like throw it in the washer and wash my mop head. Every week. Wash disgusting. your mop just sounds like a dirty I thing. I know. It was disgusting. Wash your mop. Though. Even when you, you know, hey, you the, go wash your mop. Hey, wash your mop, son. Uh, <laughs> Do you wash your mop? He's got a dirty mop. Um, anyway. Hey, you with the dirty mop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, you with the mop. Hey, it's the guy with the mop. Um, <laughs> you know, I had like the commercial yellow bucket thing with the, you know, you, you mm. put the mop and you squeeze it and it squirts out all the, the water and all that, but you still got to take that thing off the head of that mop and put it in the washer so it's clean. Anyway, fun fact, used to clean toilets, to clean toilets for like eight straight years. And uh, there's some good money in clean toilets, actually. Anyway, that's housekeeping. Woohoo! On with the show. I remember when I was in Boy Scouts as a kid. Yes. A boy. <laughs> that you were Boy Scouting, yes. Yeah, yes. Mid Boy Scouting. You would have like if you were ever at like a like a larger kind of like camp area, like something that was more set up than like you know the woods. Yeah. Um, and there was like a mess hall or something like that. You would always have like KP duty, and it's like you'd have to sign up for one shift. And for whatever reason, like the first time I was like put on like the mop, I was always I was kind of like mentally complaining about it. And then I was doing it, I was like, this is kind of therapeutic. <laughs> And so I would always sign up for the mop because no one else wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah, this is really therapeutic. I got to figure out the right way to get out of here without leaving footprints. And I'm by myself <laughs> as the yeah. loner I am. And uh, I never I never minded the mop. I never minded it. I mean, eight years is a long time to mop. It is. I Yeah, I started mopping. In high, the start of high school, actually, it started like in junior high. And uh, did you work for somebody else? I well, it started with my my dad was in construction as a laborer, and then mm-hmm. as he got older, he was, became project manager. And so, they it started with me cleaning out job site trailers, which are like mm. the most dirty things in the world. <laughs> um, and then I got some other offices for other people and started doing that. And then my wife and I did that when we first got married. Like every Saturday, Sunday, we'd clean offices to help pay for our bills. Hmm. And um, I never knew any of this. Yeah, it's kind of random. But I, yeah, I cleaned every weekend. I cleaned f- probably from like starting in eighth grade up until I was 22 years old. It's like me and my lawn business. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty profitable overall, looking back mm. on it. But I just... I don't know. We just did it because it was like decent money and we didn't make really any money back then. And um, then when I moved to Florida, we stopped doing that. And then I didn't sell my, I should have like sold, I didn't know anything. I just gave it, there was another guy in town who worked construction and he and his wife wanted to just take it over because like the money was so decent. So I was like, you can just have it. So he took over. Sell your mop. Yeah, I should have sold my mop. You sign it. <laughs> this will be more money one day. <laughs> this mop. Hey, mop. I'm going to get to the top, see? Anyway, The cleaning. top of the mop. Top of the mop. <laughs> Telling you, ma. <laughs> You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll show them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's probably, right. it's honestly a big, I think a big part of helped me with my work <laughs> ethic overall. Um, looking back, it's like cleaning construction sites and toilets is... Not a fun thing to do, but you know, instilled some good values. I think maybe I don't know. Anyway, leaky leaky buckets. Anyone? <laughs> this is gonna be a weird episode, guys. <laughs> it's great. People, will I it. I never knew that. Uh, when I got rid of my lawn business, I sold it to my and like I had it to the point where it was completely paying for and funded my pilot's license at the time. And it's like, you got pretty decent money doing it. And I only did it about two and a half days, you know, yeah. Friday night getting out of school to Sunday night. Um, didn't really have a lot of friends, but I had cash. And so that was fun. Um, probably should have had friends. <laughs> probably explains a lot about me. Um, 
But I sold it to my best friend who wanted to get into flying. His name is Tom Lembecker. He lives on the other end of town. And uh, he bought it. I think I sold everything for like $3,500 or something. But it was like all the equipment, the trailer, uh, all the mowers, all the weed eaters, all the uh, blowers and edgers and all that stuff. Along with like, I guess you also value the clients and whatnot and... Uh, I was talking to my wife the other day, and I said, I think that was probably the stupidest thing I ever did, because if I was smart, I would have just not gone to college. Yep. And I would have essentially not franchised it out, but I would have just grown it and grown it and oh, grown yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, totally not like a tax-paying business. <laughs> um, that's one thing Like I've always thought is like, man, if Emery, my son, ever does, or Elliot, I don't think Elliot, <laughs> Elliot would totally do a lot of business. <laughs> Um, if Elliot or Emery decide to do a lawn business, um, what all like legal wise would we have to do today that like we didn't have to do growing up? Yeah, and I'd be like, man, I would totally have to make an LLC because one of them would end up screwing something up <laughs> like I used to. They'd like run over some like, run over rare a, hedge, a like, lard, lard, yeah, was, like yard gnome. <laughs> Or like, you know, like people just doing dumb stuff like, right. oh yeah, we live in South Carolina, but I imported a uh, endangered California redwood that your son just ran uh-huh. over with the mower. And so, you know, something you get arrested right. for running over <laughs> and killing. It's like endangered uh, species. Yeah. Some random rare breed of squirrel uh-huh. that didn't move out of the way fast enough. Yeah. Anyway... <laughs> But it's like, you'd totally have to do an LLC. You'd totally have to do... Oh, we yeah. should do a podcast of us just randomly talking from like our normal like hour that we prep. <laughs> I bet that would probably get more listeners than you know your regular scheduled programming. It might, you know. Might. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into how leaky is your bucket. Let's talk <laughs> client retention. Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to think if my client retention when I was cutting grass was good. I think it was. I, I, I don't really ever got fired. I got yelled at a handful of times. Ironically, his name was Mr. Crab. Mm. And he was pretty crabby. But looking back, he had every reason to be crabby because I was not, my attention to detail is not as fine tuned as it should have been. Yeah. Um, anyway, Sam. Matt. In life yes. and in work. Yeah. Have you ever had a leaky bucket or, and how leaky is your bucket <laughs> currently? Well, I think, you know, as Should far I as, lead into this about the bucket? Well, I was just going to, I, I was about to enough. explain kind of my understanding of how I view the leaky bucket analogy. Okay. So if you want to explain it, that's fine. Or I can explain how I was going to, I was going to put some context on it. Do it. Because I don't know if everybody knows what the leaky bucket is. You know, as far as like, I think for for me, I think about it of you obviously getting new clients costs you X amount of dollars or time, which is dollars. Mm-hmm. And then you have your clients, so there's marketing, and then you get them, and then you obviously they hire you for a service for mastering. And then hopefully they're satisfied, you know, and beyond satisfied, hopefully they're like stoked on the product and you mm. retain them. Um, I think my understanding of like the leaky bucket and how I was going to speak on it is like if a client is not stoked on the product, they're like, this wasn't a great experience, we don't like the end product. Or even if you deliver a good master, but say the vibe is off and you kind of treat them poorly or talk down to them or, you know, essentially just kind of piss them off, then you've now created like a hole in your bucket. And so you've got something that's causing leaks. It could be uh, it could be your actual mastering skill. It could be poor client communication. It could be missing deadlines. It could be asking for more money. You're over budget. You didn't budget right. It could be a number of things. And all those things are basically, to me, like holes in your bucket. And then you start leaking uh, your water, a.k.a. your clients, and as you're leaking clients, uh, you know you can obviously run out of water, aka clients. But every time you're losing clients, you're wasting money, and it's far easier to keep clients um, than to constantly have to go find new clients. So if you have like a rarely leaky bucket, a big leaky bucket kind of business, 
where you're super transactional, which is a lot of the ebook marketing, in my opinion, the last 10 years has been highly mm-hmm. focused on funneling, essentially funneling. And then what does a funnel do? I think this is so funny is at the end of a funnel, it goes out. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, when I look over the idea of a funnel, obviously the, the thought is you're funneling people from a wide to a narrow to your company, essentially. But then when I look at the funnel, I'm like, no, it's actually bad because then eventually it comes out. And also there's a bottleneck in a funnel, so that's a problem in itself. But um, that's a different conversation of why the term funnel and analogy to me is actually terrible. Um, but I digress on that. But anyway, you don't want to have a bunch of leaks in your bucket because then you'll go out of business. So I think for me, um, you know, I probably up front had leaky buckets because I did have high turnover overall. But I think part of it is like I was going after to the wrong type of client that wanted to stay around, like stay in my bucket, (laughs) which is kind of a whole other topic. But I mean, I'm interested. But yeah, but I was, you know, as I've been thinking about the leaky bucket thing, it's like, when I show that I'm invested and I find people that are also invested and they seem to stay invested in my bucket and they're not as easily uh, or quickly looking to transaction out and go find another bucket, which is kind of a whole different concept of not just a leaky bucket, but people that like to play around with different buckets, (laughs) like grass is greener situation. But I think in my business, the first five or six years, I did have leaky buckets And I know for a fact I lost clients because I would often try to educate them. And good intention Sam was like, you know, your kick drum's too loud and blah, blah, blah. And this is an issue and this is an issue. And then they say like, Mm. we don't care about that. We love it. And I'd say, well, you're wrong, you know, because the kick drum is 5 dB too loud. And if you just lowered it, then it'd be more balanced in the car. It'd sound better, blah, blah. And they're like, no, we don't care about that. We love the way it sounds, the car. Yeah, but you just, what kind of car? It's this car. Well, it's your car. And it's, you know. So I'm just poking holes. Poked a hole, poked a hole, poked a hole, poked a hole. Now they're spinning in a funnel in a tornado. They said poked a hole. I poked a hole. I poked a hole. (laughs) And, uh, you know, eventually you've poked so many holes, it's very easy for them to leave. And that, I think, kind of comes into, um, for me... I think I probably do still have a leak somewhere, but when I think about that analogy, maybe up front I had five or six leaks and now maybe I have one small leak somewhere. So the chances that all the clients can get to that leak even ever at this stage is very rare. So kind of like the visual for me is like, if you have a bucket and you have one hole only, you can eventually actually overflow the top of your bucket still. Which is a bad thing too. Too many clients. Well, the top is a massive hole. Right. The top is a massive hole ready to ready to Or like overflow. you can't service those clients. Correct. So that's its own problem. That's like leaky waterfall <laughs> over the side. Um, but you know, I think there's a sweet spot in this conversation of having the right amount of clients. Um, I'm not naive enough. I can't say that there's never um, perhaps there's another exit that's better for business than a leak because I do have clients that go away to work on work with another master engineer for a certain project because they want a certain sound or the mixer works with that master engineer. So I lose, quote unquote, lose a client, but it's not even because of my leakiness. <laughs> it's because they want to go, you know, they just have different preference. They want to work on it. With well, that's just else. a natural cycle. Right. And it's like, you can't like, you know, if they just want a different vibe on a record. Right. Can't fault them for that. Right. But in theory, that could be a leaky spot for me. But I think early on for me, one of my main leaks was, um, you know, trying to educate too much. I didn't earn the trust first. Um, I didn't understand that usually when someone says we really like the mix, that means they really like the mix. Regardless of if I'm like, oh my, you know, there's something goofy there. What I think is goofy is just personal bias, you know, and it could even be on paper true, you know, like, yeah, if you look at the, you know, frequency analyzer, yeah, it's, uh, there's 5 dB buildup at 300 hertz and it's just a weird kind of curve, but it's the song, you know, that's what's making the song the song and what they like. 
So if I scoop that all out and the song falls apart, um, you know, you lose a client. So I think early on for me, there was a leak in that kind of like customer treating serving. It's really serving. Like customers always right. And I think that early on too for me, that was like I was trying to prove value. So by telling them, well, you know, the kick drum is this and, you know, you've got to build up here and the guitars are this. I thought I was kind of like proving why they should pay me money. And I think I misunderstood very much what mastering was when I started, even though I had good intentions. Um, I think that was definitely like a leaky bucket situation for me. And I lost a lot of clients um, that way. I know another leaky bucket was most likely um, like lack of business policies and or boundaries expectations. So when you're starting out, for a lot of people, you're just so hungry to get any sort of client that you don't really do any due diligence. And then once you have someone who's like, yeah, I'll pay $40, you're like, okay, great. Send over the song. And there's like no other conversation. And then you get into it and they're like, well, we're, you know, we want 12 revisions and actually here's a new mix. And now we have a deadline here. And all of a sudden you've set yourself up to lose and or the client is not even a client you want in your bucket because they're just like causing, they're just raising hell in your bucket. (laughs) I don't know what that looks like, but they are. They're in your bucket and just like running amok in there, stirring up the pot of the bucket. You got a wild bucket, man. Yeah, my bucket is out of control. This is a pretty simple metaphor. Well, nothing is simple in, in business. Um but anyway, you could, you know, I think for me early on, I had no real system and process. So, you know, you poke a hole in your bucket again by essentially disappointing the client, which is kind of my fault in that I didn't set proper expectations, proper boundaries. I didn't have systems in place. I didn't have a good onboard, offboard, you know. And when you're just like wanting to make any sort of money, you usually kind of attract. I don't want to say attract the wrong client, but it's just not a sustainable business model to kind of just let people pay what they have. Like that doesn't work very well. And maybe when you do firm up and go, you know what, now my rate is 75 a track or 100 a track, then they're like, yeah, but you've just kind of been like, you know, we did 40 this time and 65 that time. And then I did have a budget 100, but this one I need it 50, you know, and you're like, no, sorry, I got to do it for 100. That's just what it is. You know, you can mm-hmm. very easily poke a hole lose that client, which may or may not be the worst thing in the world, but depending on the context and who they know, you know, they could be like, ah, Sam's kind of weird, like he's being all stingy, you know, and you could say once again, well, you don't want those people either, but in like a city like Nashville, like it's very small and people talk and I'm sure early on, I know I kind of like annoyed some people when I started getting a bit more like less buddy-buddy and more like this is a business. And I think I should have started up front like this is a business. And you can still be buddy-buddy and friends and nice to people, but you can also have standards, expectations, you know, a system because you are a business. So I think, you know, for me, those are like a couple of the main uh, leaky bucket things, I'll say, of like those are two things I can think of. And trying to get those clients back in is darn near impossible once trust Mm -hmm. is lost and they've, gone through a, a terrible traumatic experience of being flushed out of the bucket um, onto the ground. You know, it's painful and they don't want to come back in that bucket. So also they may think, well, I've already gone through the bucket once. If I go back in, am I going to get hurt again? You know, am I going to be dissatisfied again? And then I go through the bucket and now I'm upset twice. Anyway, I've like blown this analogy into like something quite complicated, but that's what it is for me. <laughs> so... I want to hand it off to you, Matt. Talk to me What's about What's it called when like you stay in like not a like like relationship, but like a like a toxic situation too long? Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah. That can happen too. Yeah. But that's um, my kind of view on uh, you know, initial bucket and the leaks I might have had. And uh I want to hear your thoughts on leaky bucket, because they're probably a bit more precise and better. I'm not necessarily. Um, I think a lot of this is just like experiential and anecdotal and just really an episode to 
kind of put a metaphor out there for people to perhaps understand a situation that they may have found themselves in the, in the past and if they need help defining that situation um, so that they don't repeat it, something they may find themselves in now or may even find like we can potentially put out some markers to like, hey, this is like how you can tell if your bucket's too leaky. Yeah. Um, so do I have a leaky bucket? How leaky is my bucket? Um. I feel like we can all put data points around when we started to have a leaky bucket or we screwed up and we're trying to backtrack to a degree and how to do that versus like your pride of, no, I can't do that. Um, that's always kind of interesting. Um, so, But there's also like a whole thing of like you can <sighs> – I had an old, not necessarily, I had an old boss who, he essentially was capable of making money despite of himself. And I feel like you can very easily do that um, in this industry. And you can have an incredibly leaky bucket and you can have a reputation for how leaky your bucket is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will really quickly figure out if you are capable of remaining in the toxic cycle of having a leaky bucket. But the only way that that really works out is that you have to have intense market saturation and... uh People who like working with that type of um, person or facility. Um, and yeah, it's like I have all this stuff running through my mind, and I'm like, what can I not say? <laughs> like, what can I actually say without like saying names? Um, but I have seen that. I do think that <clears throat> if you live in one of the major, let's just say US um, music making cities, I mean, Nashville, Atlanta, New York, LA. Um, uh, are there any other really big ones? I know Austin's kind of, you know, doing a thing. Um, I feel like you have an oversaturation in like the actual music industry, and you may be able to have as leaky of a bucket as you want, and your bucket will never stop filling up because you kind of like always have like you are the guy mm-hmm. or the gal. Um. So do I have a leaky bucket? Um. Right now, I wouldn't say that I do. Um, I do think that, like you know, I have clients that will occasionally go elsewhere, and but I mean, I mean, I would say like eighty, ninety percent of the time they'll uh, they 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 come back, and but it's like ultimately, am I mad if the bucket is leaky? That's another point. Um. And I don't think my answer is no, but you should really identify like why that specific leak is occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that is something that, I mean, this is like, like, you know, like some self-reflective, like, like, please sit down, tell me, tell me about your <laughs> life kind of thing. Um, you have to like analyze like, why does that leak exist? Is this something that I want to control? Is this just a factor? Is this like something that I'm doing to cause this leak? Or are these the clients that I'm seeking out? They're kind of flaky, let's say over a rate and they're not willing to pay over $25, $50 a master. And you're just simply not willing to go that low because you're trying to, you know, sustain a business and yourself. And hopefully, you know, have a semi-prosperous life. Um, so I think there's like some analysis that is to be done. I would say the only way that my bucket is overly leaky is that it's like I work 13-hour days and I'm just at the end of the day, I do not feel like marketing and reaching out. And so if, you know, eventually you do have people go elsewhere and it's like you need to go and um, work that client generation um, which I don't really like to do because what is that? That's working to work. Um, it's like that's what I have a whole department for at my other businesses. We work just on marketing. Um, so then you get home and you don't really feel like doing that. Um, I'd say that would be the biggest one. Um, 
Another one that where I think I screwed up, um, I was five and six weeks booked out several years ago. Um, and it's like, once again, I, I, guess, I guess I can't say once again. I haven't said that. This, this, I haven't said what I'm about to say this episode. Um, I guess it's once again, if you've listened to every episode prior to this, um, I typically have two mastering sessions a day. I have um, one from when I roll on at 6 a.m., until um, my other business picks up at uh, at nine a.m., and then I go and I do that. It's all the same office, which is nice and kind of a blessing. And then around four thirty, five o'clock, I start ramping back up the mastering sessions, and until I head home at six. And then if I need to do anything after the kids go to bed, my wife normally goes goes to bed a, a bit early. If I need to do a DDP or any type of metadata or whatnot. Um, I'll normally do that during that time and then do delivery, invoicing, uh, finishing up emails, and et cetera. Um, But it's like you can only really take on so much with that type of a schedule. And so it's like, I I guess it's not 13 hours anymore. It used to be, I used to actually roll in here at 5, so it's 12 hours now. Um, Alarm now goes off at 520. and so I can very easily book up, and generally my schedule is 25 to 30 songs a week. And so while that's a reasonable load for a full-time mastering engineer, for me that's kind of like I have to push to another week. And, I mean, that can vary. Like I can obviously take on more, say, like LPs worth. Like I could probably do two and a half, three LPs in a week max um, as a, that are like, say, like 10 songs as opposed to like 30 singles. It's probably not going to happen just because there's more legwork, there's more email, there's more start and stop. And it's a lot easier just to go through a record and to, to master that and kind of take care of that. Um, so it's very easy for me to back up if I'm pretty backlogged and I felt horrible people were waiting for me for uh, like going on six weeks. And so I was like, man, I got to do something. And uh, I raised my rates and I have a formula for raising your rates. And I'll let you know what that is in a second. Um, It's not even raising your rates. It's about deciding your rate. Um, But it's in a lot of the raise your rates episode. Um, And so I was charging 80 bucks a master. And I didn't really have a scalable like I, I don't scale as the, the projects go up. Um, I just I just don't do that. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong if you do um, go that route. It just it's too much like does not compute for my brain. And then uh, I went to a buck twenty five, like so one hundred twenty five a master. And do I think that my masters are worth it? Yes. Um, but I think that like one of the holes in my bucket was something in my formula that was not necessarily jiving. I'll read you my formula now and you might be able to get ahead of me on this. So the formula is, and this is in parentheses, T-E plus V-A and parentheses, M equals R. So... You work the parentheses first. The T and the E are both capitalized. And so let's call it like, a, like you multiply it if it was actual math. It's not. T is time invested into the field. And then E, which is right next to T, experience of working in, uh, on the actual material. Two very different things. Time invested in the field. I could be in school for four years studying about this. I could be shadowing somebody on how to do this. I could watch somebody dock a boat how many times and learn the right way to dock a boat. But until I feel like the actual like tide pulling and like what the wind is doing to the current and then what the wind is doing to the top of the boat and then all the other factors around the boat, I may not actually be... And then like the tight space I got to park this boat in uh, might not be as easy as it seems. So that's where it comes to the E, the experience of working in the actual materials. That's TE plus VA, the value added to clients' work through affirmation and referrals. I had all of this, and I thought this was really good. 
So that's like if you have that, then like, all right, sweet. Um, and here's the only part that is math. So whatever value you want to give, um, so TE plus VA, whatever that is, that's like the rate that you want to charge in parentheses. So let's say I was, let's say I went to $200 a master. Um, 200 is now in parentheses multiplied by M equals R. M, what the market is willing to pay. This is the only part of the math. Um, and if I'm at 200 and M is 1, that means that the market is willing to pay what I believe my rate should be. So that's, one, that's 200, what I believe my rate should be, multiplied by 1 is 200. That is R, the rate that I charge. If that is um, 0.5, so that's saying that the market is willing to pay half of what I think my rate should be, then that then nothing else matters at that point because you don't have the market to support what you think that your rate should be. And so your rate should be $100. If it's zero and you have absolutely no market <laughs> and no marketing, I suppose, uh, then it doesn't matter, then that 200 immediately goes to a zero because you're multiplying 200 by zero. Um, so this also takes into account, um, you, you have to go back and listen to three or four, no, well, I guess when we're recording, it's three or so episodes back. This will probably be five or so, maybe five or six episodes back by the time everything that's in the queue releases. But there's an episode that we released uh, titled Marketing 301, like something about cyclical markets. Mm -hmm. Um, And this very much ties into this because when I wrote this formula, I didn't understand that market, what the market is willing to pay is actually variable. Um, Could be my own ignorance, my own inexperience per se. Um, But your market changes, and uh, you have to be very adaptable in that market. And I'm not saying that if somebody's offering me $75 to master their song, that my my value is $75. With whether I say yes or no is me, you know, accepting that. However, if they're going to give me 20 master 20 mixes a month, that is very much to me worth a discounted rate. You're going to do something in bulk, so I'm going to reciprocate with a discounted rate, and so that essentially is a sustainable model. Um, this is where I think there are some leaks. I would say it's probably like probably one of my biggest things that I'm still learning around uh, the rate thing. So I went to a buck twenty-five. I'm debating about going uh, back down. I do offer, you know, for real. Like I do have clients that send me like twenty or so songs a month, and I do not know how they do it. Like out of one studio. Um, but they just freaking turn it out. Um, and I mean, that's great. Um, and they have the market to sustain that. And, um, I have the willingness to perform at a discounted rate, um, for essentially those bulk orders. And so, and it's like, there's ways essentially, cause it's like, otherwise say like that, that would have made a hole in the bucket. Like that would have not worked for that, those clientele, but also their market could have not sustained $125 per master mastering engineer. Just where they're located in the country, um, their market, that's just not a realistic rate um, to pay. So, and, you know, understanding that and whatnot, and that's fine. And that goes into like, you know, making deals and making sure that like how much you want to essentially be out there and be accessible, which is a which is a hole in the bucket. Um, it's like if you decide to not be as accessible to clients as you'd like to be and hold firm on your rate, then you may have to be fine sitting in front of, I don't know, thirty, forty thousand dollars of gear that is turned off or that's turned on, and your tubes are kind of wearing out in front of you. Um, so there's a lot of different variables in this, and so I'm not telling you that you that you should lower your rate um, because we have episodes saying the contrary. However, if you are starting to see market shifts and whatnot, then you know what maybe that would garner a reexamination of where you are, and that's kind of where I am in complete transparency and honesty. And I'm not saying that I'm not worth the rate that I think I'm worth. What I am saying is that the market changes, and no matter what happens and what 
like, and how much time you've been invested in the field and the amount of experience you have and the value that you add to the client's work. And you know this because they have affirmations and they're the affirmation of you and they are referring people to you. None of that matters if your market is not there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big hole in a bucket. I didn't mean to take up that much time on that, Sam. That's great. But I feel like that's a big enough hole because it's like, so let's look at, let's look at my other company. Um, I'm not going to say, I'm not putting it on a pedestal per se, but I will say for what we sell, it is like to a degree, it dips into the commodity market um, in what you can purchase. However, what you're purchasing is in the top of its league as far as technology is concerned and engineering and all the actual work that goes into it um, in order to get it here. The marketing, in my opinion, is top-notch. The experience of it is top-notch. There's a lifetime warranty on the product. There's, like, you call us and we will immediately get back to you as far as customer service is concerned. And if you have a problem and people come to me and say, hey, so-and-so had a problem, my immediate response is replace the product. Mm. It's like I just want them to have a good experience. Um, so it took me a while to get to that. Um, and we did the Sweetwater thing. We're totally giving out candy with our product, which is kind of funny. Um, which remarkably goes over pretty well. Which I actually thought about doing a marketing thing. I think we would need to be in the business a lot longer in order for people to understand this. But like we and it's we don't give shit candy. We're like, you know, who wants laffy taffy? It's like we're like doing, you know, full brand giving out Jolly Ranchers and stuff. And um I would say, you know, like out of like the candy, I would say like Jolly Ranchers ten out of ten. Jolly Ranchers don't don't really miss. And uh I actually thought about running an ad with like looking at like a big old batch of Jolly Ranchers. I'd say nine out of ten dentists do not recommend our product. <laughs> um, I really like negative ads. Um, uh, I have other ads that I'm thinking of that I really shouldn't say on here um, that I've thought about running and that I want to run, but I'm not going to say them on here. Um, anyway, that I really, really wanted to touch on rates on this. Because I think it's a it's a big thing, but also I do want to say on a positive note that if you do have all of that, and if you are on a market that supports that, then you should one hundred percent chase after that, um, and you you should you know like chase after like that higher market because if you are booked beyond belief, then I would say, and your market would say that you're worth it, so. What say you, Sam? I would say what you just said was great. <laughs> and I agree with it. Like, it's great. Can you afford to have a leaky bucket? Um, can you afford to have a leaky bucket? I guess I would say yeah, because I have to imagine statistically businesses lose customers mm-hmm. all the time. Um and they still are successful. Like, I'm sure I have a leaky bucket currently somewhere. Um, and I can afford to do that, I think, because there's enough coming in, in theory. Um, I think if I started... It depends on who gets leaked out, I think, for me at this stage. <laughs> like, to be honest, like, at this stage, the question is like, okay, say you have you know, 500 clients, but, you know, it's like the 80-20 rule, you know, 500 or 1,000 clients. Um, but, you know, 10% of them give you all your, give you most of your work. If you were to lose one of those, that's quite impactful. Yeah. Um, so I think that would get into, for me, of like, I know, I look through my invoices each year and years repeating um, now I have ten years of invoices, which is fun. Like once I actually started using a CPA or like turning in taxes, which I should have done for day one. But I've been, I'll say, quote unquote, making money on mastering for fourteen years, but like actually filing as a business for ten years. 
Um, and then I've been using like my software f- for like eight years, like Paydirt. Um, so I can go and pay dirt and look at my clients who essentially pay me the most um, or have over the years. And I do have like a few clients that are like, oh my gosh, you've like, at this stage, you've paid for a whole year, <laughs> like, or your studio has, um, which is kind of wild. And so, you know, a client like that, A, whenever I, I do that kind of every quarter when I check in and see how we're doing, um, and when I say we, like me and my wife and and with my CPA and stuff, like I will usually reach out to those people and thank them for being my client. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where like I can afford to lose some like once every few months clients, you know, that send me like four songs a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm losing a studio that sends me a record every two weeks because they're busy. So they're doing a couple of records a month. That's a lot mm-hmm. of money, you know, to lose. Um, so I think it depends on what kind of leak and who is leaking <laughs> for me at this stage. So can you afford it? Yes, to an extent. Um, that's also to where whether or not this is good or not, I, I think it's good because it's worked for me. Is like clients that spend a lot of money with me do get a bit more leniency and urgency attention. Um, now, I master everyone's song the same way. Like when I master your song, you get a hundred percent of me. Whether you're a once, once every five year client or an every week client. But as far as like the actual full blown bend over backwards customer service, um, I will be honest and say like certain clients get priority. You know, if someone says like, hey, I need a big favor, we got to get this in tomorrow, I'll message another client and say like, hey, is it fine if we bump you? Like, you know, to three days from now. Or if somebody I've worked with for 10 years now is like, hey man, those were the wrong mixes we sent over or hmm. so-and-so needs to recut. You know, they're like, you know, usually what's ironic is those people are always like, you know, send us, the, send us, charge us more, whatever you need, it's fine. And I always tell them, no, you know, no, no problem, you know, because it happens yeah. once a year and it's, you know, retaining them and like kind of earning some good faith and trust. And like, it, it goes a long way, I think, with people. I also have clients that have worked with me for a long time that now tip me, which is interesting, hmm. um, where they will give me more than my rate on and off as like an appreciation and I think that's kind of come from like a, maybe it's a twofold thing where like I've, you know, cut them a little slack and, you know, gone above and beyond in a certain situation where they're like, we know this isn't your fault, you know, and then they repay it back on another time. I don't expect that from anyone, but mm-hmm. the last few years I have had, it's probably once a month, someone pays me more than what we agreed to. And they just say, you know, it's such a good experience, or, you know, you always do such a good job, you're always on time, you know, you always deliver exactly what we want, you know, and so here you go, here's a tip. Um, and so that's nice. And I think that, to me, potentially uh, can make up for the leaky bucket and or potentially um, seal up a leak somewhere, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I do think you can afford a leak here and there, and maybe it's very dependent on what that leak is. You know, if if someone learned that everything I have a we have a I have a inside joke with a mixer I work with all the time who I've been working with for like eight years. He's like, it's gonna be so funny when you come out and say you just use Lander for everything. <laughs> Cause I usually for him deliver stuff like in twenty four hours and he's always like, How do you do this so quick? It's part of my system of, you know, priority clients and scheduling and whatever for people that give me stuff like literally almost every day. But, you know, if I did eventually come out, you know, and want to keep having a business like, oh, by the way, I have been using Lander, um, you know, and I don't really listen to your music or anything. I think that would be like a giant gouge. Like that would be a massive leak and I would probably lose clients and lose trust because they've been under the impression that they're paying me to listen to their record, care about their record, impart my expertise and, you know, do, like, work on it, not just, like, upload mm. it to a software and spit it back. 
Um, and so I think it's it's dependent on what the leak is, you know, how severe the leak is. I think you can afford to have a leak because I'm sure I do have a leak at this stage um, somewhere. But the uh, customer retention and or gaining customers is at such a, a high rate. I don't want to sound like cocky, but it's a it's a good rate to where I don't feel the leak. How about that? I don't feel any leaks. <laughs> and perhaps that's a blind spot, but the last five or six years, if there is leaks, um, I don't really, it's not, uh, it hasn't been like business ending or even brought to my attention. It's very possible that a customer I do not have anymore got through on a leak and I'll never know what that leak is because they didn't tell me. They just didn't come back and I didn't you know, go after that customer, essentially, um, like a one-and-done person. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. Um, I think you're, oh, I just, I feel like everybody's going to have leaks. Mm-hmm. And that's okay to an extent. And I do think I, at the end of my year, planning for the next year, I do always evaluate my business and try and I'll say look for leaks. I don't call it that, but I'll go through all the process. Okay, they fill out the book of session form. What's the book of session form? Does that need edited? Does that need updated? Can that be better? What is better? Is it different? Is anybody complaining? You know, sometimes I have people who say, hey, I wish it was this way. You know, and I'm like, okay, let me write that down. You know, what they think. And then I see kind of throughout the next few months or the year, like, did anybody else say that? Because I'm not going to just like shift a business process just because one person in theory is like, oh, I wish you did it this way, or I wish you had a different file management system, or I wish we, you know, the invoice was this way. Um, so, you know, it's like uh, any suggestion or thing I may get, I always just take it with a grain of salt. But yeah, like the end of each year, I go through everything and essentially look for leaks. Like onboard press, okay. Communication press, all right. How I work, all right. Is that working? Data storage, you know, backups, is that working? You know, social media, is that working? Is the podcast working? Is everything I'm doing working and do I still want to be doing it? Um, conversations. And then looking into the next year of, you know, do I think things are shifting? Uh, yes, no. You know, what does that look like? Is there clients I want to go after? Are there clients that are um, maybe need to be transitioned out? You know, I think sometimes you could gracefully lose some clients um, to make room for other clients, especially if you're at capacity, which is kind of a bit where I feel like I'm getting or am at for the last couple of years is a hair bit of like, okay, I don't kind of have enough clients, um, you know, if things keep going kind of in theory just like this for the next 20 years, that'd be incredible, um, you know, and like I do, there are some still like other mixers and people that make records I really enjoy where I'm like, man, it'd be nice to do that. And so maybe I'll try and form that relationship and see if I could be a good fit, which would mean I need to say no to somebody else, you know. Um, so that's something I've kind of been like thinking through this year. I haven't really implemented anything, but kind of thinking through of like, okay, been doing this for like 14 years. It's working, um, you know, and it's, I know I have a great product and I've kind of been making like a little list of like, who do I want to try and like help finish a record with? Um, and so then I'm kind of evaluating, okay, if I do that, what will that take? Um, you know, time, resource, energy, build a relationship, talk to somebody who can introduce me. Is it a shootout? You know, how does that work? Um, but anyway, those are all kind of like, uh, just like Sam's scribbles on his future planning. Um, it doesn't really have to do with a leaky bucket in theory. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. What do you think, Matt? Do you think uh, you can have a leaky, afford to have a leaky bucket? I think you can, but I really think that you need to, like I said before, you really need to stay on top of like where it's leaking, um, inflow to the bucket versus ex like outflow to uh, outflow of the bucket, um, and if you don't really have a lot of new client generation happening, yeah, 
you can really only afford to have your bucket be so leaky. Yes. Um, because eventually you're just going to be staring at a very quiet desk. Yes. Um, and selling gear or whatever you need to do. Um, I think if you're in, like I said, like I said earlier, if you're in a music city, um, or if you just have enough clout to stay busy outside of a music city, then I think you're pretty golden. I also think that there's like ways. I mean, there's ways and means of self-preservation as well Mm -hmm. in making yourself overly relevant. And I feel like to a degree we're really talking about the indie market, not necessarily the label market. Yeah. Um, Because there's this whole, what was the podcast that we did? Like, like, what is it? Is a mastering engineer a, like, dying profession? Or, like, will... Will we go extinct? Um, and I feel like I didn't touch on one thing in that episode. And I feel like I, I did say at the end of the episode that I do believe that as things are cyclical, people will, like, as much as they may try to mix, master, produce everything, like right now, I think. I really think that people love working with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, like, yeah, you can have AI like do creative things, but I think to a degree, I mean, that's, it's trivial and hokey. Yeah. Um, and it's like AI is going to, like, pseudo make its own music, and if it becomes sentient, sure. But at the same time, do I have enough time to get into this? Not really. I have this book that I've been wanting to write. Um, And it's essentially the working title of it is um, Back to the Analog. It has nothing to do really with music except for like a few anecdotal things. Um, But it's essentially our drive and connection to others as people um, and how... Like, I don't know necessarily what it is enough to keep to like make the book happen. And so I'm kind of in like a big research phase and it'll probably be like a multi year phase, but it's essentially about like, how come I, via this podcast, via the mastering business, via everything else I do, I have friends literally all over the world. Um, and it's like more than I can literally count on my hands. It's like we have a group that I'll chat with every Monday and they're all over the world and on Zoom. Um, in a Discord page, I have people who I mentor and people who, like, a, a great friend of mine came who was who's a mentee who I just consider a colleague now. He's awesome, and it's like he came from Germany. Um, another good friend in Sweden, great friend in Portugal. It's just like, and it's like to include like over in Asia, and what, it's just like it's it's everywhere. And I'm not like, oh, I'm so popular. I'm just like, <laughs> this is great, but how come? I can have very heartfelt, meaningful conversations with those people, but nothing will really trump. Um, why is it that none of that will be better than me sitting in the in my garage with a friend of mine just cracking a beer, having a cigar? Why is that like life mm-hmm. situation so much more meaningful? And I'm not saying that any of my relationships are any less meaningful, but like there's a there's a different connection as like people like actually engaging and hanging out with people. Um, and so I feel like as far as like, what are people looking for like with you and what are people looking for as far as like to work with? And it's like, I think that people are just really looking for real people and, it's like the AI thing, like will it take over the whole mastery engineer thing? Yeah, but I think people in and of itself are going to want to work and like have relationship with people. And um, I hope I brought that home all right. But as novel as I believe it will be, it will all come back to that. And so as far as it's like at the end of that episode, I should have said if you want to essentially make it through – Kind of the mastering engineer apocalypse. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Um, 
I think that the most important thing you can do is essentially create a hub of indie um, musicians, and you essentially have this network of people who it's like a like a collective, a collect like a like y'all do business and life together. Um, and I feel like people just in like our natural kind of ways and means gravitate towards stuff like that, and we're like that kind of. Like energy, music, creativity comes from. I'm not being like frou frou, kind of like hippie stuff, but it's just like this is, it's like very real, interesting stuff. Or, uh, so you either create your own epicenter or you essentially get closer and closer to the epicenter, essentially making yourself more valuable to indie labels and major labels. Um, that's kind of how you survive that. Um, so as far as like leaky buckets, how do you plug some of those holes? Um, it's kind of like a round way of going about it, um, but I think that's how you survive the mastering engineer apocalypse. With the time we have left, which is not a lot, I wrote down five. Sam, you give me three ways um, to essentially have client to retain some clients. I can go first if you need to think, or you can no. go first if um, you're good. Man, if you want to retain clients, you got to bring peace of mind up front. So. Yes. For me, that really, an easy way to do that for me has always been no revision policy, meaning unlimited revisions. So when you're starting out with a client, even with new clients, as dialed in as I think I am with a new client, there's always a chance that, well, there is, I need to learn how they communicate. So they can fill out the form and give great details. I want it to be like this, and here's our reference, blah, blah, blah. And go, okay, great, great, great. You know, thank you. That's great. I can work in that context, send it over, and then be like, oh, the base is a little, you know, it's actually too much. And in my head go like, well, I nailed what you said. You wanted to be low end, like you wanted the base to hit. You know, that's literally what you said and be like this reference. So in my head, I'm not upset. I just go, that's fine, you know, let me run a revision. It takes 10 minutes. You know, pull it up, recall, print, send it over. Great. You know, this is perfect. Thank you so much. You know, here's the next song coming. So I think, you know, right up front, uh, you know, peace of mind and don't do like a two revision policy. I just, I just, if you're an independent person running your own company, one of the easiest ways to retain people and retain trust so they don't throw the kitchen sink at you too. If they, if they have two revisions, they're going to be like, we want the base change, this change, this change, this change. Cause they're scared that they're not going to get it all in. Where you and your back of your head should should know that okay, if we change the bass, it changes the kick. If we change the vocal, it changes the guitar relationship. Like everything impacts everything. So I found the no revision policy goes a long way with allowing people to go to know like okay, we're going to get what we want. Like it may take a round or two. That's fine, normal. That's how it is in in all the other processes. You write a song, you revise it. You mix, you revise it. You produce, you're revising. You take, you know, record, you take a different take, you comp things in. At mastering, yeah. it's okay to do the same thing. You you do a revision. Now, you know, it's not a big deal. And you're you may think it's a big deal, your client doesn't care. Client's happy. They're like, we're dialing it in, it's awesome now. Thank you. So that's one. Um another thing is always like on time. You'd be surprised how many people are not on time with delivery. Um, that I get your clients. If you're listening to me and you have botched delivery times a few times, I potentially have your clients. Like, I do not miss deadlines, like straight up. Like, I have not missed a deadline, maybe, I don't want to say ever, but like, uh, it's been at least eight years, like, that I've botched anything. Um, The only time I can think of is when we had our child, and she had to be in the NICU for five days, I had to email three clients and basically say I can't deliver on Friday, but I can do it on Monday. And they were fine. Um, so that would be like the only time I can remember where I actually had to email someone and say, you know, I botched this. Um, but being on time, like that it goes a long way with people. And I do have clients who come to me who literally tell me the other guy couldn't deliver when he said, you know, it was always late. So we missed our yeah. deadline. We missed our upload. We missed the viral momentum. You know, it cost us, who knows what it cost us. Could have been fame. Like, it's true. Like, in a viral, quick-moving market for independent artists, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. Um, 
So, you know, that's a big one. The other one, I think, too, that I do really well and I think retains well, um, when you finish a client project with a new client, ask for a referral and then ask them when the next project is um, for new clients. Like, they're going to usually know somebody who they will refer. And then also you get to know what they're working on next, which then leads you into the conversation of probably getting that work and continually building that relationship. Um, So you get... You keep a client in the bucket, um, and then you get probably a new client to come into the bucket. So that's a win-win. It's like a you know a double whammy. Um, those those would be my three things. Matt, you got five. Okay. Go. Yeah, we got to wrap. Yeah, it's okay. Go. All right. Here's my five in no particular order because they're all really important. Um, essentially, communication all the time. Um which rolls into the second one of you need to listen to our how to sell a Rolls-Royce issue. You essentially need like Rolls-Royce grade customer service, um, like white glove customer service mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and I feel like overly over-communication almost corrects all wrongs, if there are any. Um so communication at all times, Rolls-Royce grade, customer service. Do not cast doubt, which I guess is your uh, bring peace of mm-hmm. mind. So like don't deliver and be like, actually, I don't like this. Right. Um, don't do that. Um, let's see. On budget, on time, all the time. Very, very, very important. And the last one, write everybody a Christmas card at the end of the year. <laughs> it's very important. Do the things that, and it's like, it, while well, it's somewhat of a metaphor, like do the things that other people are not willing to do and do not go the extra mile to do. Be that person. So, customer service at all times. So, with that said, I'm going to wrap. I'm going to take us home. Take you got anything, home. Sam? No, take us home. Cool. And I'm going to make it quick. That'd be funny. It's like the end of like a <laughs> prescription commercial. <laughs> I'll listen to all the side effects. Mm. What are the side effects for listening to the Attack Early show? More uh, <laughs> less leaks in your bucket. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, where is this going? All right. Anyway, if you like what you heard... Uh, actually, no. If you hear this, we beat queuing up in the background that was made by the one and only, the lovely Sam Moses. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just telling him thank you, I would greatly appreciate that. If you need a mastering engineer, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. Um, we'd both love to help take your record across the finish line. Um, in the beginning, we said if you wouldn't mind leaving some likes, stars, comments, shares, we would love that. Please do that. Um, it's really how we grow. Uh, we're actually terrible at marketing for this podcast, so please do that. That would be that would mean the world to us. And uh, yeah, mm, I don't think there's anything else. Do you? No, that's it. Sweet morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having. Have a darn good one. See y'all in the next episode. Cue the music. Yay! <laughs>